Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, August 6th. We begin with an update on Tuesday's deadly explosion in Beirut. Crystal Gumansing, Europe Bureau Chief for Global News, has the latest on the aftermath, including the continued search for victims. Next, we look at the race to find a coronavirus vaccine. We get details on some of the promising campaigns now entering the third stage of trials. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. We catch up with the Better Business Bureau with a warning for back-to-school shoppers. And finally, planning a move? We take a look at the current real estate market in the city and the challenges of doing a deal during the pandemic. We speak with local realtor Len T. Wong. 6.43 on the morning news. Lebanese officials say at least 135 people are dead. The rescuers are still sifting through the rubble following Tuesday's devastating explosion in Beirut. At this point, it looks like around 5,000 people have sustained injuries from the blast. With the latest, we're joined by Crystal Gumansing, a Europe Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning to you, Crystal. Hi there. Um, Any update on the rescue effort and, and the search for survivors this morning? It really is sort of a continuing effort. We did hear from uh, some French search and rescue officials who had uh, boarded planes yesterday to head and and go to Beirut and help out. Uh, They did tell uh, French President Emmanuel Macron, who arrived in Beirut today, that there is still hope. So a lot of work still happening by members in the international community who are starting to arrive, as as well as uh, local search and rescue crews. Of course, the Lebanese Red Cross uh, heavily involved with that effort a lot of work still underway and that work just absolutely um, challenging and grim given the the devastation from that blast and the number of days that have passed so a lot of work still to be done and and interesting enough that uh, French President Emmanuel Macron is now in Beirut the first foreign leader to arrive to to take a look at the scene for himself and and talk with Lebanese officials um, reading, uh, you know, some of the information uh, coming in that Switzerland, China, Germany, Britain, you mentioned France, the world is, is really coming together to help out the, uh, the Beirut uh, population. Yeah, there's a lot of international aid, and of course, they will need a lot of international aid. Yesterday, we saw um, planes full of, of, of equipment, aid, supplies from, from from Iran, from Greece, Qatar, sending a number of planes. Uh, they are going to provide a field hospital that will help provide some, some much-needed care and relief to hospitals in Beirut. Of course, hospitals themselves were, were overrun with COVID patients, and then, of course, the thousands of injured individuals and the system itself was challenging with the medical system because um, the, with the economy and the challenges there, the public health system not necessarily well funded, um, you know, the private hospitals uh, not necessarily a lot better off because, of course, they're waiting for payments from the Lebanese government. So medical supplies definitely needed. So we're going to probably see more of that uh, being shipped out. Interesting enough, when it comes to the Canadian aid, the five million dollars that was announced yesterday, one point five of that is being made available immediately to partners. It'll go through the Canadian Red Cross and make its way to uh, the Lebanese Red Cross. I know investigators are still on the scene, Crystal, but do we know anything else about what caused the explosion? We've heard a lot about ammonium nitrate and uh, this warehouse. Do we have any further details on the warehouse? 
No, we don't have any further details, but we're getting a little bit more information about the back and forth between port officials and government officials. We know that the prime minister said uh, after the blast that it was in fact caused by uh, more than 2,000 tons of ammonium nitrate that was being stored at a warehouse at the port. It had been there for several years. And now we're starting to see documentation that apparently suggests port officials were questioning government authorities, asking them to deal with this massive supply of potentially dangerous chemical that was sitting at the port. So a lot of people talking now about accountability. Was this the result of negligence on the part of the government because uh, protective measures had not been taken? Measures we see as far as, you know, this chemical being stored in other countries. Canada, of course, has tight rules around how much you can have and how you can store it. Um, and there were calls from uh, members of the community, people in Lebanon and Beirut saying the international community has to get involved, that they need outside influence to make sure that answers are, are actually provided and that this isn't covered up. And of course, a lot of, um, you know, conversations around the issue of, of government accountability and, and corruption. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, French President Emmanuel Macron uh, is involved in that aspect. Hopefully many more answers to the many questions in the coming days. In the meantime, thank you for your time, Crystal. You're welcome. Thanks so much. That is Crystal Gumansing, Europe Bureau Chief for Global News. Time now for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Enjoy established amenities, recreation facilities, and the leading school districts. In the southwest, there's still a sinkhole on Southland Drive between Elbow and 14th Street. There is a single lane of traffic open in each direction through the area until further notice. Anderson and Heritage Drive are good alternate routes. There was an early morning collision southbound Deerfoot at Anderson. Currently, all southbound lanes on Deerfoot are shut down there. Uh, we are Drivers are being detoured onto Anderson and Bow Bottom Trail, which are both seeing an increase in volume. And drivers on northbound Deerfoot are slowing down as they pass the scene, already seeing delays of 10 minutes from Barlow Trail. The Love You by Shoppers Drug Mart program is committed to advancing women's health. Visit shoppersdrugmart.ca slash loveyou to learn more. From the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Bill Jensen. 7.49 on the morning news. Millions of dollars and hundreds of hours of researchers' time have been invested in the hunt for a vaccine for the novel coronavirus. Experts say we could see the first vaccines approved by the end of 2020, but there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered before this. Leslie Young is Senior National Online Journalist with Global News. She took a deep dive into this topic and joins us now. Good morning to you, Leslie. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. It's interesting because we've done several interviews on this program about vaccines over the past handful of months. And generally, we've heard that it takes years. Some experts have said a decade. So, so what makes this hunt different and might push it many, many years earlier than, than normal? Well, it seems like everybody in the world is kind of throwing everything they have in terms of money, manpower, uh, labs, everything at this hunt for a vaccine. And uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, some of the researchers I spoke to for this piece, uh, they were saying that they're actually not starting from square one necessarily on on these vaccines they're sort of taking a lot of things that previously existed and adapting it for the coronavirus which uh, also helps save some time but honestly it's probably the biggest research project we've seen in in decades at least and we're seeing you know not just research teams in countries but countries coming together in uh, you know uh, working together as as cohorts 
Absolutely. Yeah, there's a giant uh, World Health Organization project that's trying to bring together researchers from all over the world to do just that. Yeah. Do we see any leaders in your research and in the story? Did you see any any countries or any projects that seem to be moving ahead of the pack? Yeah, so there are about um, uh, over 160 vaccines being studied in, in some form or another. But there are only about five that are currently in the stage three clinical trials. So this is the big trial where you give it to thousands of people and see uh, how well it works, see how many people end up catching the virus, uh, what kind of side effects there are, that kind of thing. So that's actually typically the last step before you get something approved for more general use. So there are about five. Uh, Some of the ones off the top of my head that come to mind are uh, Moderna in the U.S. There's a group out of Oxford University in the U.K. that's doing one. Uh, there's also, we saw yesterday, Canada signed a deal to get some, uh, some of Pfizer's eventual vaccine. Now, of course, this vaccine doesn't exist yet, but it is one of the leaders as well. Okay, so you mentioned it, it is impossible to tell exactly when we'll have a vaccine, but I'm wondering if we have data on how long that stage three normally takes, the final stage, as you mentioned. So it depends. It's kind of an, an interesting way they do these tests. Uh, the experts I spoke to, and I kind of asked them just that, it, they say that normally it can take years to develop a vaccine, as you said. Uh, even those trials can take a long time. But if you've got a lot of cases and you're testing this vaccine in a place that has a lot of cases, like the U.S., for example, uh, it actually can help move things along a little bit faster because you get your data faster. Just there, there's more exposure to the virus. So that's why we're seeing uh, a few people, uh, including the people I talked to for this story, but also, you know, Dr. Anthony Fauci in the U.S. saying that we could see the first thing approved by the end of the year. That doesn't mean you'll get mm-hmm. the, the shot in January, but we might start seeing things approved. Good stuff. Thank you very much for your time, Leslie. Oh, you're very welcome. That is Leslie Young, Senior National Online Journalist with Global News. on the morning news. It's nearly back to school time and many online shops are offering pay and installment services that target high school and college age buyers. These buy now pay later services are uh, new and quickly gaining popularity, but you need to be very careful. So we're joined with some tips from communications specialist with BBB serving Southern Alberta and East Kootenai, Shauna K. Thomas. Good morning to you, Shauna K. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on the program. So we're told that this is new, Um, you know, buy now, pay later. We've seen it with furniture stores and stuff, but maybe not to the younger set, like college age and high school students. So tell us how this setup is. So this setup is particularly um, targeted for high school, college students, because they may not have the full amount of money that they need to complete their payment. So when you're buying online and you're checking out, you'll now see the option of, you know, paying installments, and it could be anything from two to five installments um, in, 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 that, in that case, particular situations. It varies. Uh, you can use your credit card to pay. And usually it's a third-party financing company that does this okay. um, with the online website that you're buying from. Okay, so you're going to a third-party company, and that's where you, you might not get the full scoop from the main website until you see that fine print. 
And are we talking uh, perhaps not knowing about the interest charges that might be uh, uh, bigger than you'd expect? Right. So it's particularly um, important for you to check out what the interest charges are. So read the fine print. Um, Because it's a third-party company, you want to go ahead and do your own research on that financing company. So know how they handle late payments, how they handle interest, or what the interest rate is. Um, Usually, you know, our own credit card interest rate, which could be anything from zero. 5% 5% to 30%. So you want to be very wary of that. That's how they're going to make their money, on their late fees and the interest. Because even though you're making, um, it's good to make the payment in installment, if it happens that you're late um, because, you know, this money may be, the total is over budget or out of your budget and you end up being late or you end up not being able to make the payment, that's where you're going to rack up those charges. So you want to be sure that you're doing the research on all those fees that are involved when you're doing these installments. You know, the Better Business Bureau, when I think about, uh, you know, what you folks do, I think about, you know, storefronts perhaps, uh, maybe companies online. But how about finance companies? Is that something that we can dig into with your resources? Yes, so at the Better Business Bureau, bbb.org, uh, you can research financing companies. You can see their history, complaints, reviews. You can also check them out and call them directly or call us and we can do the research for you. Um, you can call the company directly to find out what their interest rate is, how they handle their late payments. Um, be sure that you know what you're getting into, uh, how they deal with consumers who may not be able to, to, to pay on time and that kind of thing. Um, that's something that you can research with us because you're, you're borrowing money, right? And, and you may be tempted to forget that it's money that you're borrowing. So you want to think as well, is this payment going to push me outside of my budget? Would I be able to afford groceries, rent, and the other things that I need to afford um, to keep going? Uh, It's installments and it sounds good and you're not paying everything at once, but eventually you have to pay it all. So make sure that you're checking with your budget. You're checking the financing company to get their background and you're knowing what your interest rate or late payment fees will be like if you run into um, any difficulties. And Shana Kay, beyond these payments, I guess if you're dealing with a finance company, we have to wonder and and, uh, be concerned into the future about our, our credit rating as well. It's, it's very important to think about that because it will affect your credit rating if you fall behind in your payment and they have to send it to um, a collection agency and then you take a while longer to pay, then it's sent to the credit bureau and then in the future, that's how your credit will be affected. Um, so the installments may seem enticing at first. It's good because you don't have to pay all that money up front, but you have to think about the long-term impact. And if you're really afford able to afford what the total cost of this product is going to be. Thanks for the heads up. We appreciate it, Shauna Kay. Thanks for having me. You can get more info at bbb.org. That was Shauna Kay Thomas, communications specialist with BBB, serving Southern Alberta and East Kootenai. That song is Madness. Is that the name of the uh, name of the group? Yeah, it's called Madness. Uh, it has. I'm not sure if Madness is the way to describe the real estate industry, but we're going to get some insight from a professional. If you're moving through the pandemic, uh, what is it like if you have to make that move? Because I know people still have to sell their house; they might have to be buying a new one. Best to be informed on what's out there with any uh, new challenges presented by the coronavirus as well. We're joined by realtor Len T. Wong of the Greater Property Group. Good morning to you, Len. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. I, I want to start with, I know you've had years and years in the business. Uh, 
nobody could, uh, you know, forecast the, the coronavirus would be the the issue for the past six months would be uh, turning our lives upside down. So I'm wondering, as a realtor, have you had anything like this to compare your entire career? No, I've been in the business for over 30 years, and it's amazing. Like the last, uh, you know, probably the last four months, it's been a new world. I mean, you know, thought process, uh, going through so many uh, changes. And, you know, the biggest thing I think is for all of us is just the uncertainty. You know, what's going to happen here in the, you know, the fourth or fifth, you know, fourth quarter or next spring? That's the real unknown part. Yeah, moving ahead into the future. Let's talk about, you know, the fact is, and I think that you guys were deemed an essential service early on. Because the fact is, people still, depending on circumstance, have to buy a house or might have to sell the house. Uh, so tell us about those early days and, and, and what it was like to adapt as a company. Yeah, what we found was, of course, you know, uh, when uh, COVID came out there, uh, you know, everything basically shut down the end of March, you know, for the first few weeks. And then what we found in April was, of course, sales were down about 60%, you know, compared to last year this time. And then basically the other thing was everybody was kind of on hold. I think there was a bit of an adjustment, a bit of a shock period, you know, and people realizing you know, adjusting to the times. And then the thing we saw in May, we saw, you know, the market down about 40%. And what we saw was that people kind of realized, you know, it is what it is. We're slowly starting to adapt and people are starting to, you know, adjust to the times. Um, and then in June, um, you know, we saw that the market was uh, much more stable. We found that the, you know, the, the lower end market, like three to 500 range was pretty steady. And if you were, uh, you know, maybe a, you know, um, you know, a teacher, a nurse, you know, a firefighter, you know, a police, you know, person, uh, you were in a position where that was the market that seemed to buy. We found that the high end and the upper end market was slower. And July, we've seen, uh, you know, an increase into the marketplace. We still see a little bit of softness in the mid-range between the six to 900 range. And then, you know, so far, we've seen a stability overall in the marketplace. So who can benefit right now? Is it more of a seller's market or a buyer's market as we move into August? Well, what we found was we found a bit of a, you know, when kind of when the government, you know, went back to stage two and looking at stage three, we saw a bit of a pop in the market. So we've seen a bit of an absorption. You know, we still are in a buyer's market. You know, we're in probably, you know, year six of a buyer's market. We've seen a lot of things, uh, you know, stay the same. What kind of kept the prices down, you know, stable was that, of course, you know, with the government subsidies. And then what we saw was the mortgage deferrals. And then, you know, those are the type of things that kept the market kind of flat. And then the other thing, too, there was a little bit of, people weren't putting the house on the markets till just recently so that helped the prices stay stable at this time uh, from that perspective good stuff uh, all the best to you for the remainder of the year and if you had your crystal ball it wouldn't be an issue but nobody does i guess at this <laughs> point len thank you so much i appreciate that thanks andrew take care thank you that is uh, realtor len t wong you can find him online at calgaryluxuryhomesearch.com